While you're being seated, I'm going to ask you to take out your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, if this is your first time with us, my name is Colby, I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar Church, and it really is a, a delight to be able to gather for worship with you on this Sunday. My personal and heartfelt thanks is something I want to express to you for not only the way that you've continued to love the Clifton family over these, this past week, but I'm particularly thankful for the show of support and care and concern uh, that you've had for me and my family. And uh, it's made all the difference. I've been telling people that are in town that aren't a part of our church uh, how much of a difference it makes in these moments to know that you have a church that loves you, that loves one another, and that it draws together in difficult moments and allows the Lord to speak to them and work in them. And, uh, you know, I've drawn so much strength from that in these past days. And I just want to express my thanks to you. And I appreciate this opportunity to worship together and rest in his word. Uh, James chapter 1. We began a series in James chapter 1 uh, the week before Clint passed away. And this morning I'm going to focus us in on ver just verses 3 and 4. Of James chapter 1. It says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessing it is, the way it feeds us. And today, Lord, as we hear it, we ask that you might help us to understand and comprehend it. And Lord, that through comprehending your word, you would give us faith to believe it. And as we believe it, Lord, you would cause it to bear fruit. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, two Sundays ago, I stood before you with a new series and a year ahead and preached from this portion of James 1... A sermon, the main point of which was, trials produce the endurance necessary to finish our race victoriously. My encouragement to you was to learn to face trials with a sort of receptivity that understood that God not only purposed them in some important manner in our lives, but that they trained us to have the necessary endurance that would carry us on to completion in Christ. Here are a couple of things I said on that Sunday before Clint's death. My encouragement to you was to learn to face trials with a sort of receptivity that understood that God not only purposed them in some manner in our lives, but they trained us. And I, and I said this, I said this coming year, some of you may face a trial that will completely wreck all of your resolutions from January 1st. I also said, it's necessary for us to understand what God does through our trials because some trials we face are not just going to go away in a week but we'll have to learn to carry them through the entirety of our lives. And that this process of carrying them would require God's transforming work on greater levels than our personal growth resolutions could have ever done. 
My larger point was caught up in one idea about the power of these most challenging moments in our lives to deliver the sort of changes that we've been desperate for in our lives but not disciplined enough to produce on our own. My notes from that Sunday were sitting on my desk yesterday morning and I saw these words in bold at the bottom. I said, imagine for a second moving from oh no, I can't handle any more of this, to, Lord, if you can help me learn to handle this, I'll hardly have to fear anything in the future. Well, I couldn't have imagined what the week would bring and how deeply we would be called as a church and as individuals, as a community of church plants on various levels to have to come to grips with these truths in our lives. I realize it is the case that in this process of, being, of moving from being shaken to steadfast, because of the grief and sorrow we feel so deeply at this moment, you may still feel like, oh Lord, I can't handle any more of this in a really deep way. At the same time, I want to take some time today to call us not to miss what God wants to do in us to drive our roots deep into his living water. The main point that I want to walk us through as we look at these two verses that has been hanging in my heart this whole entire week is that the testing of our faith moves us from shaken to steadfast. That this is what God does through these moments that are so unwelcome in many ways in our lives if we will welcome them. Whether you are feeling deeply affected by the past week or in preparation for some other moment in your life, I believe James has some valuable insights here that can help us learn to move from shaken to steadfast during the most challenging moments in our lives. And I just want to walk us through them in this, te in this text this morning. There's three of them that I want to mention that will help us move from shaken to steadfast. The first one is, that, is this, that we need to understand that tests are for education. That tests are for education. I remember hearing a teacher once say that tests are a learning tool more than a grading tool. It was a new thought for me. Because all my life I was wanting to achieve and measure up to a grade. To think that actually a test was somehow a part of the learning process rather than just the way that my value was assigned was a difficult thing for me to come to understand at that moment. But it's true. Taking tests in school has sort of conditioned me and maybe some, so many others to see them as grades of our value rather than understanding where we're at in the learning or maturing process. But that, there, there's a certain type of testing that this passage is talking about other than just grading our lives. There are different kinds of testing than school tests. You think about beta testing an app or a computer program, running a product test. One of the strangest experiences of my life was when I was in college and wanted to make some quick money. There was a company in Lynchburg where you could be a part of product testing. So I jumped in a car with a couple of friends, uh, other freshmen, uh, and we went down to the testing center where we were all given these yet-to-be-released Gillette razor blades. 
Yeah, you just imagine, we are the test agents. You know, we're, they're testing on us. I don't even remember what was special or new about them. Maybe the gel that they had or something that they wanted to test out on us young boys. I just remember that we were to use them to see whether there were any unknown problems with them. Each day we would use them. I didn't really have enough facial hair to need to shave each day at that point. And it's the last time in my life that I shaved every day for a week. But that's, that's beside the point. The testing was about discovery and preparation for future improvement. Testing is one of the things that God accomplishes in our trials. Certainly not the only thing or even the only purpose for which uh, circumstances come into our life, even difficult ones. But God does have purposes, of course, in the mystery of his will that are too deep for the human heart to even comprehend at times. But one of the things he does do through difficult times is he tests our faith. He tests it. Not always just for pass-fail purposes, grading purposes, but here so that we might see what needs to be changed for the future. What new things need to begin. In the text, you see here in the text, as he has introduced us to the topic of trials in verse 2, he turns our focus, you notice, to testing in verse 3. For you know that the testing, this is what he's referring, one of the things happening in our trials, the testing of your faith, he says, produces steadfastness a word like test in english can have a broad range of meaning but the underlying greek word here has the sense of proving out something's genuineness checking something for its reliability and tests in the midst of our trials prove out the genuineness of what we think is there and begin to press on the reliability of what has been built so far. God tests us for our education. Like running a proof before printing a thousand copies of something or doing a difficult task. I thought, you know, uh, how many times Clint printed a thousand of something with typos. If you were here in the early days, Kate, you can attest to this. We would get something and there would just be typos all over. He was an amazing designer, but there was always typos. You get a proof, right? A chance to look at it, see what's really there before you move forward. You see, testing both affirms strengths in our faith and reveals weaknesses. It affirms strengths and it reveals weaknesses so that we are ready to make the sort of changes in our lives that lead to the steadfastness that God intends for us to have. The way it works is we are going on in our life with little resolve to make significant changes. Convinced that the general way in which we're thinking about things or dealing with things is just fine. And then the product of our life gets tested. It gets tested by events or circumstances, and we're hit with these moments of clarity. 
And that clarity is a gift. It's a profound gift. If you can avoid being crippled by a sense of failure and shame over the past, you have a moment right here in your life that can have a profound effect on your future. What has this moment affirmed in your life? You know, as you've thought about things in your life over the last 10 days, what has this moment highlighted and affirmed in your life as valuable? Where are you thankful to God and affirm that the things you have been devoted to really are the things that matter? And then another question, what is this moment revealed in your life? Maybe here are some things I thought previously were okay, but they're not. And the time to make the change I'm realizing is now. The testing of our faith produces steadfastness by giving us this kind of clarity. Tests are for education. The second thing we see in the passage, that's the first one. Tests are for education. I know for my note takers, I don't have screens. It's been a long week. But I try to keep the point simple. Tests, they're not just for education. One of the things I've been reflecting on this week is that these moments are for consecration. They're for consecration. I've already alluded to it, but I really want to bring this idea home to us. It's the reason I'm preaching today rather than taking a break. <laughs> we have awesome elders and other folks who certainly can preach, and I would encourage you to expect to see them in the weeks to come. But I wanted this moment because I believe tests are for consecration. There's a window of devotion in our life to the things that are going to be necessary for the way forward that happens in a moment like this that I don't want us to miss. The word consecration, of course, means to devote ourselves to something with a sense of divine purpose. That the moment is sacred. It's from God. I couldn't have put it together. I couldn't have manufactured it. I maybe don't even want it. But God in his infinite mercy and the mystery of his will has chosen a pathway for the future of our lives as a congregation that requires consecration in a fresh way to the things that matter most. And that's not just true for us, but, but these moments of clarity in our lives also call us individually to fresh decisions of consecration and devotion that maybe we didn't have the resolve for even two weeks ago. Because tests are for consecration. In the text, I, I use this word consecration because if you look in the text, what we see here in the beginning of verse 4 really sticks out. A phrase that's been calling out to me all week as I've been trying to embrace what God wants to do in me during this season. Let steadfastness have its full effect. It has the force of an insightful, wise instruction about what to do. A command. Let steadfastness have its full effect. 
In verse 3, we're introduced to this process of God using our trials to produce steadfastness. Then the process of producing this steadfastness is personified in verse 4. You know how it becomes a thing. It's the subject of the sentence that somehow is doing the work. And that's intended to sort of strengthen our sense of the process and the sort of personal nature of it. And so this process of producing this steadfastness is personified in verse 4. Which gives, us, gives it this personalizing strength like a divine coach that has shown up to live with you and help you get everything you need out of a situation in your life. Let steadfastness do its job. Let this moment have its work in us. Don't shrink back from the process. Don't flee from it. There's pain wrapped up in it. There's things we want to avoid. There's fears. But the invitation is to let steadfastness have its complete work. It's not something that happens in a moment, even though we've gained clarity. But the fruit of it requires consecration, devotion, time and fresh courage in our lives to let it have its ongoing completing work enter into it respond to it with a divine and sacred sense of devotion before the lord the lord has shown up maybe in your life this week to redirect maybe to refocus Maybe to renew something in you. Consecrate yourself to Him. Don't flee until the work is done. Devote yourself to what you've seen in your life, what's been pressed on, what's been affirmed by God. Turn yourself from the things that maybe have been holding you back and let this be a season of fresh devotion in your life. As we consecrate ourselves and let steadfastness have its completing work. It reminds me of other similar instructions in the scripture. 1 Peter 5, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. So that at the proper time he may exalt you. Here it is like the potter's hand that is shaping the clay of our lives in these moments. We humble ourselves, submit ourselves in consecration while he works on us. We do so with patience. Listen, I've spoken with a lot of you this week about what God is doing in you as you have been processing the news of Pastor Clint's passing. It's been evident that along with an incredible work of comfort, God is doing an incredible work of consecration, of devotion. Things in your life that you had accepted is just what it is have been overturned and you have a new desire to let your life be devoted to God in a fresh way. Some of them very specific ways. New resolve to return to a nearness with the Lord. A new devotion to care for others in the church. A new passion to take bold steps of faith in proclaiming the gospel. A new courage to reconcile with others. And there are two ways you could think about going forward. You could think 
oh well, I was just emotional and I got carried away. When I was saying those things and talking about those things and thinking about those things and thinking, Lord, this clarity, I want to do this as I walk forward from this moment. You could just say, you know, I got emotional and carried away and that's what it was. That is one way you may be tempted to think. But I believe there's another way that this, points, this passage points us to. We've had a moment of clarity. A moment of clarity. As Ecclesiastes says, it's better to go into the house of mourning than the house of laughter. For it is the end of all mankind and the living will take it to heart. There's a clarity of wisdom that comes in seasons of mourning when we realize the big things that matter most. We realize what they are and we have the opportunity to devote ourselves them, to them in a new way. So today we want to resolve as a people to let steadfastness have its full effect on us. Consecrate yourself to God to what he is showing you in this season. Submit yourself to what God is doing in your life. Have conversations with one another about what you are learning and pray for one another. L let me just help you minister to one another over the next few weeks. Just some simple questions. I began asking people this week this question. How, how has this experience most affected you? Really simple question, isn't it? What is it that you find most difficult about this? And then you could just pray for the person. It's really that simple. You don't have to feel like you're a mature believer or a leader. But as you're talking about what's going on in your lives, you just ask a question like that. How is this affecting you? What, what, what new things does it have you thinking? And just share. You don't have to control what they say. Just learn what's on their heart. Listen to one another. And as you listen to one another, then turn that into a prayer. You say, hey, I want to pray for you that, that God would help you to let steadfastness have its full effect. Just a really simple way that you can serve one another in this moment. We want to be a people who are consecrated to God to devote yourself together to these things and don't quit on what God is doing in you. Part of that process as a church and as a broader community of believers gathered here today from so many of our churches uh, where we've gathered to take uh, this moment in together. Part of the process is that we would capture the big gifts God gave our churches through Clint's life and devote ourselves to make them a permanent feature of our lives and work together in them in Christ. You know, that we would take this moment where we think about the significant impact that he's had on us personally, that we've, he's had as a church, and we would highlight those things that we, we cannot forget that are so valuable to who we are. And sometimes when we lose someone, we realize what they've contributed to us, both individually and as a community. And one of the things I wanted to do this morning is to highlight a few things that, that as a church corporately, Clint has meant to this body that we need to conse consecrate ourselves to perpetuating long into the future. 
So I'm going to highlight a few of these things. We never want to change about our church. And we want to consecrate ourselves to living out. And so the first one is this. We want to be a community of bold faith. We want to always be a community of bold faith. Clint led us with bold faith. Almost every one of us thought he was crazy at some point. Really crazy. But few people who were in that room yesterday at the memorial service thought anything like that. We were saying, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith to see what you want to do through us, even when others don't. I hope that God will give gifts of faith to our body through the work of the Holy Spirit during this season that continue to make us a community that believes in His supernatural power to work when we step out in faith. Clint's favorite stories were the stories about how when we stepped out on a limb, we discovered that God was already far ahead of us with the resources needed to complete the task that we didn't have at the beginning. Many of those resources are sitting in this room. As I think about my first official-ish Sunday as teaching pastor at the church, Clint preached a sermon and announced me coming on full-time and simultaneously talked about the Praetorian Project. There were about 30 adults in the room that day and probably 20 kids in the back, and we said we were going to plant these four churches in other places, and everybody was like, really? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about that. I learned from Clint to ask first, what do I believe God wants to do? And then and then, only then ask the question, how are we going to do it? You see, so many of the hard decisions in your life are wrapped up in the fact that you simultaneously try to answer that question. Is there a way I can do what I think God might want me to do with the resources I already have? But that is never how God works. First, we have to determine what would God have me to do, and then we can trust Him for the resources in the future and take whatever we have and risk and leverage them to go there. And some of the best decisions you will ever make will be by dividing those two things apart because sometimes God puts in our heart something to do that we don't have the resources for, but He has placed the resources in the harvest. We want to be a community of bold faith like that so that we never lose it. The second thing is we want to be a community of generous love. You couldn't walk away yesterday without a, being struck by the deep love that Clint had for individual people, particularly his family, but also as we've known and experienced for us as well as a church. Clint led us with generous love. I, I've had to grow in this. Clint used to make fun of me. <laughs> when we were giving a gift to someone or determining support for a church planter, he would always ask me how much I thought would be good. And then he would chuckle. Laugh at the amount I suggested. And generously and convincingly make the case for more. Often double. I remember one time we had some extra like mobile church planting equipment that we were no longer using and I was trying to figure out how to sell it to pay for something else I wanted us to do he was appalled <laughs> that I would sell anything to a church planner he said you you mean you're going to take that guy's money we gave it to him you know 
He just was, now I just realized he was always right about that. Like a generous sort of love. He found so much joy in giving lavish gifts and celebrating with others. Several years ago, my in-laws took us on a Disney cruise. We were, we were really excited, and uh, <laughs> we were already getting this, uh, you know, amazing gift from them. But the day before, that felt lavish in and of itself. You know, like in some weird way as a pastor, I was like, I don't want to tell people I'm going on a Disney cruise, you know. <laughs> it's, it's like driving a Lexus. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're getting this lavish gift, and uh, the night before we left, uh, the Cliftons came over, and they had these balloons for us. And when we popped them, they had spending money in them. $100 bills were falling out of these things. They were so happy for us, as if they were going themselves. And it was that kind of lavish, generous love that was one of Clint's hallmarks. And I've seen it on display in the fingerprints of it in this church as other people have done that sort of thing and imitated that, and I know where it came from. And I'm grateful for it. We want to we always be a community here of generous love. There's a third one. We want to be a community that plants churches. I mean, save the obvious for last, right? I know this may seem obvious, but, but at a time like this, stating the obvious matters and stating it clearly. Clint didn't have an individualized passion for the Great Commission and church planting. He had a biblical conviction that the Great Commission found in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 was an instruction from the Lord about how to carry out his work that we were to carry out that work by planting churches that would make disciples in new communities where it was needed. To Clint, our church planting work was not first and foremost a strategy for large impact or influence. It wasn't a trendy ministry fad. It wasn't a personal vision for our church. It was an act of obedience. Obedience to God, whether it, was, whether it was a large church or a new church plant, when other pastor was, pastors would ask us how they could know when their church was really ready to begin planting churches, he always had the same answer. This would happen all the time. You know, you'd have a small church, a new church planter. How will I know when I'm ready to plant a new church? You know, and then we would have these large churches, some of them, you know, four, five, six thousand people large, you know, like, how will we know when we're ready to plant a new church, which was always a chuckle to him, you know, he's like, really? How, and he would say the same thing every time, how soon would you like to start obeying Jesus' words in the Great Commission? Pretty simple, never mean, just simple, clear conviction that it was about obedience it's a conviction I came to share along with him 20 years ago sitting in a booth at the CC's in Stafford when my often incredulous wife looked at him and said, why, why do you keep talking about church planning? Aren't there enough churches around here, you know? And that was his answer. 
Our church planning vision may have begun with Clint, but it will carried, be carried on together by a whole community of believers who are devoted to the task of seeing ordinary people do extraordinary things for God. We're going to be a community that plants churches. Not just because it was his vision, but because together he helped us see in God's word a biblical conviction that we could all own, rejoice, celebrate, and then in some manner that maybe you're not even sure how yet, in some manner that you could participate in. Whether it was through your praying, whether it was through your giving, whether it through, was through your going or your leading or your vocation, all along the spectrum, he wanted all of us to have an opportunity to obey in part because the Great Commission is actually not something we just do individually. It's what we do together. We plant churches together. Church planters are here and have been supported and found faith to step out uh, on that work because People like you in this church wanted to do it together and they knew that that support was there. That was all a part of the contribution that you've made, that I've made, that was began by Clint, but it was a conviction biblically before it was a personal vision. I could go on for some time about these gifts. Those are the three that I wanted to highlight. These are enough for today to help us devote ourselves to what is important in this moment because tests are for consecration both individually and as a church corporately. But the last thing I want to share with you is, is this, that tests are for completion. Tests are for completion. I have mainly over these past days been focused on caring for the Cliftons, caring for my family, caring for this church, and honestly, caring for my own soul during this grief. I've by and large chosen to wait to consider thoughts about the future. But even as I stand here today, part of the experience of grief and loss is that sense of fear for the future. C.S. Lewis, in his book, A Grief Observed, he said he was, in his grief, he was surprised to discover how much grief felt like fear. Whether in this situation or some other situation close to home for you, there's this looming question always, how do I go forward when someone I depended on so deeply is gone? How do we do that? Like practically, how much of my confidence to lead was connected to the strength of my relationship with Clint? Those are the deep questions I ask myself. Having a partner like that in any work is an incalculable benefit of strength. The vision for the future we've worked on together with so many in this room didn't include not having Clint all up in the middle of it. That wasn't a part of the way we saw it playing out. And it's personal, not just that. Our personal lives didn't include that and the things that we desired for them. Especially those of us who walked so closely with him for so many years. It's personal. It's professional. And you look to the future with questions. But as I've been reflecting on what we have lost... I've also been strengthened to sense from God what we are gaining together. That in this experience, we are gaining 
some things together as well. A clarity of faith. A visible strengthening of our love for one another. A deeper communion with God. An affirmation to use our gifts for His glory. And I read these words. Let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That you and me, through the things that God is also giving us in this loss, might become complete, lacking in nothing for the race that God has assigned for us. To walk, to carry together, And it has made me eager not to miss this moment. You see, the resources we need for the future are being delivered to us right now in ways that we may not even yet be able to discern. The ways that God calls us together, strengthens us, encourages us, uses the fresh confidence in one another's love to move us on to bold faith, allows us to feel the sense that there is a need for leadership and consecration and devotion and step forward ready to make sacrifices, the desire to imitate generous love. All of that comes with incredible resources from the Holy Spirit to accomplish exactly What God has called you to, what God has called me to, and what God has called this church to. So that we would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing as we walk with the Lord. I believe God will give us everything we need to be comforted, to be strengthened, find steadfastness and to complete the task that he's assigned to us. And that confidence comes from the very heart of the gospel itself. You see, all along in our lives, it's been God that has been seeing our need before we knew we had it. That's what Romans 5 tells us. All along, God has been seeing our need before we knew we had it. Romans 5 said he did so most powerfully when as a sinner, I didn't have any sense that I needed the saving work of Christ. Yet God sent his son. Romans 5, 8 says he did that for you and for me, though I had sinned, he did it while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us, placing the provision for our deepest need right upon, right along the path of our life to be received at the moment when we would come to see how deeply we need it. So, so that then, in saving us from our sin, He could make us complete, not in our own strength, but that we could live in a confident sense of completeness in the finished work of Christ. Who through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection has finished the work that matters most for us. And leads us with absolute power, confidence, and provision until we finish the race 
set before us. He's the author. He's the finisher. And I trust that he'll show us how we belong to the story that he's writing over our lives. If we'll respond to this moment, receiving what it has to teach us, devoting ourselves to what we've seen, and trusting his provision to make us complete.